Welcome to Brewcast for Amazing Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am Luke Giardi, joined as always by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani here with you on Monday night as we head into Tuesday. And uh, another bit of a somber show here on a uh, not not a victory Monday. No siree. Uh, another taking an L Monday here uh, as we are getting almost halfway through the Michigan football season. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. And obviously, uh, confidence in the program feels like it's an at an all-time low. We'll get through a lot here today. But uh, as I welcome Anthony and Chris, the good news, folks, is that for every Michigan loss this season, Jawan Howard's going to sign a five-star recruit. So that is the good news uh, that we have here. But uh, Anthony, Chris, how are we doing? Uh, doing pretty good, uh, all things considered. Not a, you know, if you're not a sports fan or a football fan in the state of Michigan, it wasn't that bad of a weekend. Uh, I am, of course, uh, this is a remote broadcast for me today. I am here live outside of uh, four seasons total landscaping in Philadelphia. Um, coming at you today. So we're having a lot of having a lot of fun here on a Monday. Uh, at some point, the pain uh, becomes so numbing that all you could do is laugh. Um, I if there was any question that last week wasn't a blip on the radar that Michigan actually isn't good at football, here we are. Yeah. Um, you know what's weird? Because I've, you know, we've been doing this together. This is our third year doing this in our third football season, talking about some of this stuff. Um, we've done angry podcasts before, uh, you know, 2018. Ohio State, um, I'd even say last week to a certain extent. Um, there's – I don't think any of us are really angry right now. Like, I think we've reached a point, and it's sad to say this, that we reached um, in the Harbaugh – or I'm sorry, in the Harbaugh uh, – that we reached in the Hoke era where there's there's just a level of apathy and just stun, stunnedness – that comes with what the, the product that we're watching right now. I said last week that the Michigan State performance was the worst performance that I'd seen from a Michigan team since the the game where Shane Morris nearly got decapitated against Minnesota. Um, last week's game against Indiana reminded me so much of that game. Uh, an offense sputtering, a defense uh, that couldn't tackle anybody, couldn't guard anybody, uh, uh, a completely apathetic, bordering on on awful coaching performance um, and a loss to an opponent that you never lose to, that you hadn't lost to since the, the Reagan administration. And I, I just – it's it really is upsetting that every team in this state sucks at sports. Uh, and, you know, we thought that we would get some sort of breather this year um, by uh, U of M football and – uh, we haven't, and, and we're. I said this in my post game video, and we've we've made this you know joke before, but let's use the the you know the Doctor Strange analogy from Infinity War here. You do thirty million different scenarios. There's not a single one in which even the biggest Harbaugh naysayer in the world thought that by year six we would be at this point. You said it in your in the post game pod that you did, Anthony. You're envious of the Indiana football program right now. That's how far things have sunken. And it's, uh, it's um, just a, just a horribly disappointing loss. You know, you, we are a little bit under halfway through the season and, you know, we're going to watch, we're going to cover the games. We're going to do our jobs. The season's over. I mean, to see, you could argue it ended against Michigan state, but any proof, like you said, Anthony, that this was a blip in the radar is gone. Uh, this is who they are. And we're going to talk more about, where this team can go. But I mean, this is, we're hitting kind of the rock bottom point that we saw them hit in 2014 in the Hoke era. Yeah. Can I add, you know, add to that conversation really quick before we get into it. So last week we, we talked about where we put into perspective, just how bad that performance against, Mich against Michigan state was. And this was another bad one. I mean, if you're someone who felt like these last two weeks were the, the worst two weeks of the Jim Harbaugh era, there's kind of, I wrote about this earlier today. There's a statistic that backs that up uh, using ESPN and ESPN's FPI. You could take it or leave it. As far as I'm concerned, it's not the gospel truth, uh, but they do a metric called game score, which is they define as how well a team controls the game 
along with the final result and it accounts for the site accounts for how strong your opponent was, what have you um, of the games in the Jim Harbaugh era. And this is a zero to 100 scale. Last week's Michigan state game was a 16, which is by far the worst of the Jim Harbaugh era. The next closest Michigan state, 2017, 35 third, the third from there Saturday at Indiana 39 and right there next to it, kind of in that 39, 40 range, 2019 at Wisconsin had a 40 and the bowl game against Florida in 2018 had a 41. So anyone who felt like this is we're, we're heading into a bottoming out of the Jim Harbaugh era, and they certainly have never had back-to-back performances like this, but things are bad. And to go back a little bit further, this was their worst uh, FPI game score since the loss to Toledo in 2008, where they had a nine again, 2008, that's the three and nine season. And the Appalachian State game in 2007, where they had a game score of 15. So that's the perspective of where we're at right now. I'm going to be honest with you. There were two games uh, during the Brady Hoke era. I want to say it was 2013. They played at Michigan State, and then they played at home to Nebraska. I had the unfortunate luck of my only two Michigan games that I saw in person that year were those two games. They finished with negative rushing yards in both of those games, and they were back-to-back. And these two games have me feeling legitimately similar to those two. I, I mean, what did what did we have here uh, on Saturday? 18 carries for 13 yards. I mean – I I don't even know what to say. Joe Milton really wasn't that bad. Uh, He missed, obviously, some really bad throws through a couple of bad interceptions. We kind of thought that's what we would get with him uh, coming into his sophomore year. But at the end of the day, man, there is not a lot of glimmer for hope here uh, moving forward because uh, under Josh Gaddis, we saw them take a turn last year in the second half against Penn State. We thought that that would continue here this early season. I said so in the uh, preseason podcast. It hasn't happened. They look good against Minnesota, but that's it. You know, Michigan State went out and got throttled by Iowa. You know, Michael Penix Jr., who threw for 342 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions against um, Michigan on Saturday. He he had what? He went 19 to 36 for 170 yards, one touchdown, one interception against Penn State. They won that game, but it's not like he was Joe Montana out there. I, I mean, he literally looked like Justin Fields on Saturday. There's just there's no hope Michigan still doing the thing where they only run in between the tackles. They don't let Joe Milton pull it very often. Not a lot of read options. It's a very predictable offense at this point after game number one. And I honestly don't know where they go from here. I'm all out of ideas, answers. And I know that that's not my job to, to provide those. Obviously I don't have a say in this, but I have nothing for myself to hold on to moving forward. I don't know if Michigan's going to win another game this season. I mean, after seeing what Maryland did yesterday, or excuse me, Saturday to Penn State, uh, Rutgers, you know, potentially should be a win for Michigan, but I can't even chalk that up as a guaranteed win. And as those guys come to play, as we're sitting, as we're sitting here in year number six of Jim Harbaugh, it's quite frankly unacceptable. Yeah, no, I, I, you brought up that point, and I appreciate you bringing it up because you know, typically there is after a loss or two bad losses, there is that that hyperbolic wave of, Oh my God, they might not win another game. That that's not far fetched at this point. You, cause you look at, at first, it's a weird year. And I texted this to you guys. If you use you know transitive property to try to figure out which teams in the big 10 are good. The only ones that you can definitively say at this point are good are Indiana, Ohio state and Wisconsin. If they play like, but you look at the remainder of Michigan's schedule. If they play this week, I, I can't imagine they'd win. Penn State, I know, is 0-3, but I think with Penn State's wide receivers, I don't think that's a good matchup for Michigan, considering our secondary is gets nothing but torched. Uh, Northwestern's been solid. Somebody just put that in the com- uh, comments. Yes, sure, Northwestern, but Northwestern is is still fairly unproven because of what they did last year. But if you just look at the remainder of Michigan's schedule, like Tua's brother looks like a stud for Maryland. Rutgers, uh, Rutgers got beat bad by Ohio state simply by virtue of the fact that they have far inferior athletes. Their game plan was completely adequate. How they play was completely adequate. Like they lost a game in the way that Rutgers has lost a lot of games in the past because they just don't have as good of athletes. But yeah, I mean, we're, 
we are at this is I mean it's so eerily similar to the point we were at six years ago with Hoke where you after that Minnesota loss you looked and you said what are the automatic W's and there weren't any and they went on to lose to uh, I think they'd already lost or they went on yeah they did the next week they went on to lose to Rutgers and then uh, you know they found a way to narrowly get by against Penn State but they never won anything pretty you know they won what a, a ten to nine game against Northwestern ultimately going nine and seven we're at the same spot right now I I, I mean you're even the things that this team did fairly well on Saturday, it was all too little too late. Like I, in the past, we fairly so we've used the quarterback as a scapegoat. Milton did not play great or even very good on Saturday, but like if we're breaking down like just the upside of quarterbacks in the Harbaugh era, Milton's probably the best one. I mean, the throw he, the pass he threw to Cornelius Johnson for the touchdown in the first quarter was probably the best throw by a Michigan quarterback, maybe since Henny. Like, I mean, the guy's got a rocket. It's like you can't, you can't break it down into just one thing. It's, it was very similar to Hoke always said it's the little things, it's fundamentals, things are not doing right. There's a million holes that keep popping up. You can't just plug it up with one thing. It's, it's reaching that kind of disastrous uh, car crash level right now. Well, this is my concern with Joe, too. And we talk about, you know, these late hokier vibes that we're getting. I think they're asking Joe Milton, if this team's going to win games, is going to be asked to do too much. And that's where I worry about, like, Devin Gardner syndrome is a yeah. guy that has all the talent in the world, can be a factor in the QB run game, has armed like Joe and, and, De- and it's funny, those guys work together over the offseason. Yeah. Very different guys, obviously, but um, in terms of skill set, but that's. I'm worried about that. And like I said, the offensive line being banged up doesn't help. Uh, I thought that they protected him mostly okay on Saturday, but that's a concern that I have right now is he may very well be the best quarterback that Jim Harbaugh's had. And it won't matter if he's just, you know, we know that the way that college football is now, you have to get out there and score points. And, And that's the other thing. I mean, they make it outside of the Minnesota game. And really, on a lot of games last year and the last couple of years, they make it look so hard to get to like 21 points to 28 yes. points. And that's that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, you know, it's it's they don't it doesn't seem like the coaching staff, you know, they, the thing that struck me and I didn't really touch on this in the postgame pod. But we talk, you know, Jim Harbaugh talked about how all the talent is there and these, these players just have to realize and, and play within themselves. feels like they're playing tentative, maybe a little confused at times. This coaching staff doesn't know the talent that it has. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen Joe Milton in the QB run game since the first week of the year. We, you know, they continue to run the ball right into the middle of the line of scrimmage, not attack the edges. They still, I think you might have a decent wide receiver trio emerging in Obviously, Ronnie Bell, who is a godsend. I think Cornelius Johnson's coming along. And Roman Wilson looks like he could be a guy. So there's talent on the the most frustrating thing about this team. And I said it last week, is that there is talent on offense. There is some talent on the defensive side of the ball. We'll get to that soon enough. Um, But I get upset when... You know, I don't question the effort of these players and the coaching staff doesn't. And that's, you know, that's all rah, rah, fine and good. I have a problem when that effort and that talent and the work that they are putting in apparently Monday through Friday is not being rewarded with being put in positions to succeed on Saturday. And it's pretty it's not a hot take anymore. This is not a well-coached football team. No, it's it's not. And I do want to talk a little bit about the defense, because at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's stupid to watch them run in between the guards over and over and over again. Like, it's not working, you know. And But at, at the same time, that's – they keep doing it, and that's kind of a theme for this team, right? And that's why I think it has to start with Jim Harbaugh because you look at the defensive side of the football, and they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I get it. They throw some zone mixes in there and whatnot. But the majority of this defense is running this, you know, this press coverage and they're trying to jam the receivers so that the blitzes can get home. But you don't have guys that are capable of doing that, man. I mean, green and gray are just getting torched. And look, 
yes, it's their fault, but at the same time, they're not being put in a position to succeed, you know, and now you're losing Aiden Hutchinson. The news came out. He's going to require surgery for a fracture on his leg. He's going to be out. Quiddy pay got hurt uh, towards the end of that game. I don't know what his status is going to be moving forward, but the, the blitzes and the pass rush are not getting home. And these guys are getting absolutely torched and yet they continue to do it. A good coach is going to be able to scheme to his personnel. And right now, Don Brown is not able to do that. The, the comparison I made about, because, yeah, yes, against Michigan State, uh, Vincent Gray was the, the you know, the, the, the scapegoat there. Uh, yeah, everyone, he, he got torched and uh, it looked terrible. And I, I still got it. Like, I'm sure he's a talented player. He's shown us nothing to make us think that, like, he deserves the spot that he's at. And I don't, I don't want to rip the guy too much. Like the last time we saw a Michigan DB get beat this bad, and this is an obscure reference. This is one for OGs. Remember Sissoko for in oh 2009 with Golden Tate? I was gonna. I was waiting for a Bubakar Sissoko reference on this show. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean again when Michael Floyd and Golden Tate were just were just torching them, you know, on, on you know third and longs, and and Jimmy Clausen was just throwing it up to them. They were beat by ten yards. That's a little, something this bad. But the comparison I used in in my post game video is like it's the equivalent of allowing a baseball player who's in the midst for of an O for sixty streak to bat cleanup for you. It's like at a certain point, move him down in the lineup, do something different to try to instill confidence in him. They went to, and it's like, okay, they went, when they were down 17, they still got torched. Like, I mean, he, I'm not really going to give them a ton of credit for making an adjustment when the game was essentially over. Like, I think you're, I, I have a hard time believing that is a talent problem. I have a hard time believing that at the university of Michigan, which has recruited well every year since forever, is unable to produce a single defensive back uh, or cornerback because Daxton Hill played a solid enough game to produce a single cornerback that is that is you know worthy of playing in the Big Ten. Like it has to fall on coaching. We said the same thing again to make those parallels when Hoke left Michigan. We kind of wonder the same thing: Are they do they have the talent? Is it going to take them a few years? And right away, in fairness, Arbaugh, and in fairness to DJ Durkin, who was DC at the time, a lot of guys who were kind of afterthoughts played really good football season. Jordan Lewis came out of nowhere and been one of the best cornerbacks in the country, which makes me think right now we're in a similar boat. It's not talent; it's how they're using that talent. Well, they're. <laughs> There is a concern that I have. They they do recruit well from a class ranking standpoint, but yeah. really since that 2016, 2017 class, I mean, go and look, go. I'm not going to run through them here on the show, but go run through the guys. I mean, they haven't recruited well at defensive tackle. And really, I mean, Jamon Green, I believe is, was the number like 400 cornerback in the country. And Vincent yeah. Gray is number seven, something 700, something. So it's like, there's it's a fine line between recruiting rankings don't matter, which to a certain extent, totally agree with. Um, they're lotto tickets, but at the same time, you've had a couple cycles here now where you haven't recruited all that great. And you've got guys on the roster. Now I think Andre Selden is, if he's not a top 100 guy, you might be close to that. Um, you know, Darian Green Warren was was a, a guy that was highly sought after, but at the same time defensive back is a position where it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to play early there. And the thing that, and this is where I'm not even going to turn my attention to Jim Harbaugh this week, because I'm of the opinion, and we've talked about this here. I think he'll be here at least through the end of next season. Um, Don Brown, listen, what Jim Harbaugh went out and did when DJ Durkin left was <laughs> Jim Harbaugh Googled the number one defense in the country from the year before. And he, he went out and hired that guy. Don Brown was that guy at, you know, at Boston college. And, and since then, and the scheme, first of all, the crux of what he does works when you have an explosive guy in the middle of your defense, like a Maurice Hurst, which they haven't had since Maurice Hurst left. And that opens up everything. Um, they haven't had guys like that. Carlo Kemp is fine. And some of these other guys are, are okay, but um you know, the three-star uh, lunch pail try-hard guys from the East Coast, like that's not going to cut it. The the three-star defensive backs, 
when you're, you know, in an arms race in the Big Ten where Ohio State's, you know, running three or four wide, apparently Wisconsin's going to be running the air raid as long as uh, Graham Mertz is there. Penn State always has good receivers. You have to recruit better there, and, and they have, they've missed big time at those two positions. And that's where, like I said, if Jim Harbaugh is going to be here past this season, there has to be a big shakeup on that side of the ball. And maybe it might be for not. Maybe this is more like the 2013 season where, okay, after the season, we're just going to shake things up. We're going to hire Doug Nussmeyer to run the, the offense. And that obviously didn't work either. Maybe that will end up being that. But also, what if it's not? And getting that defense fixed is what takes you to that next level. Because I'll tell you what, and we talked about this before too, you're going to give up points in college football. Like giving up 35, 38 points to Indiana, that's not as big a concern to me as jumping off sides on a hard count six times as the pass interference penalty. Six times. Six times after they did it, what, two or three times last week? Um, Indiana, not only did you not correct the things that you did badly against Michigan state, Indiana watched the film and exploited you even more. I don't get like the, mm-hmm. that. That's that's unfathomable. I, I, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around. That's, that's the reason there's no real cause for optimism here. Uh, to be honest with you is because at the end of the day, it's a poorly coached football team. Like why do we have any faith in them correcting the little mistakes when they seem to compound on the little mistakes. Yeah. I mean, they, they played that. Yeah. No, they've been shooting themselves in the foot on both sides of the ball for, you know, I the, mean, the, just, just think of years. just think of last year when Khalid Hudson jumps off sides on the punt for Ohio state against Ohio state. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a prime example of everything Michigan's been doing under Jim Harbaugh. He's, he's supposed to be, he was supposed to be the guy that coaches a football team hard for them not to do that. And that's not, that's not one of those penalties that you get for playing hard. Like you could say Ben Mason got away with against Minnesota on that first personal foul. There's a difference between being aggressive and being stupid. And quite honestly, the jumping off sides thing continuously is just stupid and there's no excuse for it. No, no that, they that's... played that game on Saturday. Like they'd played Michigan state yesterday. Like it, where they, it, it felt like they didn't even have the time to make the adjustments. It's like, in, like you said, Indiana watched all the film and exploited Michigan for the same weaknesses that they showed uh, uh, the previous Saturday against Michigan state. And like, I, I'm not a football coach. Uh, maybe, maybe that they just believe that Vincent gray uh, just needed confidence. Maybe they believe that maybe they just trusted him enough that he can make plays in single coverage. It was apparent after drive one that that wasn't the case. When you jumped off sides two times and Michael Penix Jr. was lighting it up against you, it, it was it was apparent that they needed to make adjustments. And they they rarely did. And it was you know, what was so stunning to me is and I'm very rarely somebody who points this stuff out, was just the the general atmosphere from one sideline compared to the other. Um once it was seven, nothing. And I, we texted each other during the game uh, when it was in the second half. And even when Michigan cut it to 10, I texted you guys and I said, this thing's over, right? It, it seemed very apparent that one team came into that game fully believing that they were going to win and win easily. And one team either thought they were going to lose or had zero confidence in, in how they were going to perform. And it, it, that reflected itself with their performance on the field. Um. Well, and we have to talk a little bit about a game coming up here this week that sounds like it is going to be played uh, against Wisconsin, and things could go very poorly again for the Wolverines, and we'll continue more on this discussion. But before we do, there is some good news. Uh, you can at least look good uh, while being sad. Anthony, what, what do you got for us? We got, we got something. <laughs> yeah, look good by, while being sad. That's, that's Look at me. That's my entire vibe here. So – uh, so over the weekend, we inter- introduced a new sponsor uh, in home field apparel. Uh, those guys create premium collegiate apparel out of, you know, small, bu- small run business, getting bigger out of Indianapolis. All of their stuff is incredibly comfortable. It's officially licensed. It's all vintage. It, it looks retro. It looks awesome. Uh, they just launched their Michigan line this past Saturday. And what they do, uh, what counter and the team over at home field does is they dig through the archives to find unique logos, mascots, et cetera, to make 
thoughtful designs that kind of pull on your heartstrings and, you know, make you put you in your feel, so to speak. Um, for, for schools like Michigan, I mean, the directional schools are there. They've launched Alabama. They've launched, um, launched Auburn. Go through. I mean, there's, they're adding to schools all the time. And they print them out on, honestly, and the way I put it over the weekend was th- they print them on these T-shirts and hoodies that it literally, it feels like you're being swaddled in a cloud, which we could all use that, especially when we devote three, three and a half, four hours to this football team every Saturday. So like I said, I, I've got, They've got Slippery Rock. I've got North Dakota State, Tulane. It's starting to become more than like half of my wardrobe. So three of us are Central Michigan Chippewas. They have a line of that as well. So what I'm giving you today, what they're giving you is 20% off your first purchase using the promo code MNB at homefieldapparel.com. That's 20% off using the promo code MNB at homefieldapparel.com. So check it out. Let us know what you think. All right, we got to take a quick break here on Brewcast, and uh, we got more to come. Don't go anywhere. And we're back here on Brewcast. Luke Yardy, Anthony Broom, Chris Castellani, and uh, like Anthony mentioned, as we're coming out of the break here on the podcast, if you are watching on Twitch, uh, you know, just a, a much shorter break than what you got here on the podcast. Uh, but for those of you uh, that are here, on Twitch. Really appreciate you joining us. And don't forget, if you're listening on the podcast, we do uh, do the show live every Monday on Twitch. 7.30, we've, I think we found our, our time slot here. Uh, but I want to get into, you know, what what's ahead for Michigan? Because we talked about this last week as well. And we were, we were pretty spot on when we went into the uh, Indiana game. We didn't have a whole lot of confidence, even though Michigan was favored. I, I didn't really understand it, but I guess there was still some optimism uh, that Michigan could you know, right the ship a little bit, but uh, following what happened Saturday with Michigan's performance, uh, coupled with Michigan State's performance against Iowa, things are looking pretty bleak for the Wolverines, and it doesn't get a whole lot easier. Um, they, they got Wisconsin Saturday night. Now, this is going to be an interesting matchup, obviously. Wisconsin hasn't played the last two weeks. Uh, Michigan's sort of played the last two weeks. Uh, what, what do you guys think? <laughs> Michigan has been present on a football field the last two weeks. So a little bit more than Wisconsin can say. I mean, what do you guys think? We don't know what the status of Graham Mertz is, uh, but if he plays, man, good luck to the secondary. Yeah. Yeah. That's so the, the updates on Monday, Wisconsin comes out and says they're getting ready to play a game on Saturday. So it seems like they're, inching their way out of the, you know, the COVID protocols and things like that. And Paul Chris, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he kind of seemed to hint that there's a chance that they could get Graham Mertz back on Saturday. And after that news is where you start to see things like uh, immediately go check the Vegas odds and it swings from Michigan opens as a three point favorite. It got bet down to one or to one point yesterday, and then it swung. I believe it's up to three points for Wisconsin now, in a line that I would probably expect to grow. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, you could use some cliches here about it, but I see a Michigan team that appears a bit lifeless uh, at the moment. Again, not necessarily questioning the effort, just maybe listless and without direction. Play, you know, set to play against a Wisconsin team who, um, if they get six games in this year, they're still eligible to play for a Big Ten championship. So they haven't been on the field in a couple of weeks. I think they're probably going to be frothing at the mouth to get back on the field and hit something. And that that winged helmet usually brings out a lot of aggression and a lot of, uh, you know, it's it's a target. So I. Probably, I feel less confident about this game than I did going into last week, and we saw what happened last week. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to find an angle in which Michigan wins this game, uh, out, outside of just the typical, oh well, everyone's got to show up, and if they play, the, if they play, and if they, you know, they, they up the mistakes. They are. We're three games into the season, which is a little bit under halfway. And especially in a only conference season or conference only season, uh, their defense is right now what their defense is going to be the rest of the year. Like I don't see Vincent Gray all of a sudden figuring out how to guard somebody in, in single coverage. My only hope here, outside of maybe Graham Mertz not playing, is that, and I think this is maybe the only way they win, 
and this is so unlike Michigan, and it's why I don't think it happened. You may have to get to a point where the run game is optional because if you're only going to run up the middle, which got Josh Gaddis is hell bent on doing, if you're not going to go uh, between if, between the tackles, if you're not going to you know work the edges, then we may be looking at Joe Milton just putting it up 45, 50 times a game. The only success Michigan had last Saturday, and really the only success they had against Michigan State, was when uh, they went four or five wide, Joe Milton in the shotgun, uh, kind of trying to do his gunslinger routine. They had some success, missed several throws, missed a wide-open touchdown at one point, but the only success they did have was – going deep uh you know those five 20 yard out routes those those you know the 30 yard post routes the touchdown to cornelius johnson if they try if they win this game and it's not the michigan way but you got to throw that stuff out the window with this season being what the only way that they may have success is if they find themselves in a shootout this defense so far this season even against minnesota in a game they won proved that they don't really have the personnel or the the coaching at this point to be able to shut a team down the way that previous uh, defenses have done here, the way that uh, 2018 did, the way that 2016 winning 14 to seven. That's not going to happen. Michigan, and I'm, I don't have a ton of confidence in their offense, but I think they will probably, whatever games they may win the rest of the year, will probably be done with off gaming as opposed to defensive prowess. No, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the defense is, at this point, I mean, it might as well be a Big 12 defense, to be quite honest with you. you know, yes. You, you're winning in shootouts, or you're not really winning at all. And we uh, we even saw against Minnesota that, you know, we thought the defense had some some holes, but we ultimately didn't think they played all, all that bad. But the last two weeks have just been it's, – it's just eaten away at me and, and any confidence that I have. And I know uh, SB nation kind of does a, a state of the, the program. How do Michigan fans feel about the state of the program moving forward? Do we have, do you know uh, what that is to have they done that this week at all, Anthony? Uh, we don't have numbers for this week yet, but what I can tell you is that it will probably be the lowest it's ever been <laughs> since we started doing that last year. Um, yeah. I, let me, the, the pains of live broadcast here. So last week's SB Nation reacts, which uh, it is on the website if you'd like to sign up for that. It's basically a survey that gets sent out to your email. Uh, there's some poll questions. It's how we take the pulse of, uh, of where the fan base is at. So last week, most overrated coach in the country, Jim Harbaugh came in at just over 50%. And it, he was followed by Tom Herman at just under 20%. Jimbo Fisher at 15% and Mike Leach at just over 10%. So that kind of tells you where the nation is at on, on him right now. And then as far as fan confidence goes, uh, heading into week nine, which is last week, it looks like we were down between 20 and probably about 25%. So, and that number will go down. So that's where we're at. We, we might, it's going to be interesting to see how close to zero we get. Cause I think it might be coming. It's it's got to be close. I mean, I, I don't know how you'd have any optimism in the program right now. Like, I get there's a lot of youth on this team, but uh, this is, like we've said, this is year six, man. I, I don't know. Uh, there's well, just not a whole lot. This is the question I have. Like, if you're still on board with Jim Harbaugh, like, please tell me why. Tell tell us how. Yeah. Tell, tell us why and how. Because, I, like I said, we gave the numbers at the top of the show. I – it's, it has nothing to do, like I said, it has nothing to do with the man, what he's done off the field. This is not, this is not Central Michigan where, hey, if you win eight, nine games and you go to the dorms and pass out pizzas, you know, once a semester, that, that's your, your set, your set for life. It's the University of Michigan. It, it has, regardless of the pandemic, one of the biggest operating athletic departments in the country. You, you, when things are going well, you print money. They're, they haven't won a Big Ten title since 2004. And I think that you know, as I kind of wrap up our, my thoughts as on this topic for this week, it's no longer – like I watch – you watch what Notre Dame did over the weekend. Notre Dame is not 
Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. It's still a pretty damn good program that when they play their best football, they can they can go toe-to-toe with you, and they can play with you. And they recruit probably on par, maybe a little bit less lesser than Michigan does, but they're a well-coached and disciplined football team. And they have blips on the radar here and there, but that's a team, and I get it. They're an independent. They haven't played in the conference, but guess what? They're playing in the ACC this year, and they just beat Clemson. So yeah, I don't see why – why can't Michigan be known or like, it's not, you know, people say, Oh, well, all they have to do is beat Ohio state guys. They're not even beating Indiana and Michigan state right now. Right. So the, the argument has always been, who are you going to get? That's going to do better. I can get someone that, that does better as a three touchdown favorite in a series. And then another game in the series where we've won, where they've won 24, 25 straight games. That's, That's where we're at right now. But that, the thing about Saturday night, and I did want to bring up this point, watching Notre Dame pull that off against Clemson made me realize how unacceptable it is for Michigan to not have beaten Ohio State yet. Like, I get it. They were without Trevor Lawrence, but uh, the, the Cardale Jones game happened. You know, I, I mean, we the Dwayne Haskins game, happened where Michigan was, I believe, leading when Dwayne Haskins came in for JT Barrett uh, in 2017. I believe that was 20. No, that's 2014. Dwayne Haskins. Oh, Dwayne Haskins. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 20, I was uh, 20, 2017. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, yeah, my bad. That, was, that was, that was 2017. And you've had your chances. When oh, Ohio you mean, you mean the other time they've replaced an elite quarterback with another elite quarterback? Oh, you mean that they, time? Right. Uh, th- there was one time under Brady Hoke that uh, JT or Braxton Miller went down. JT Barrett came in, right? And Michigan still ended up blow, blowing the game or did they lose both that game? No, J, J, JT Barrett went down. Then Cardale Jones came in. That was 2012. Yeah. Yeah, 2014. It, it, God damn it, I'm off tonight. 2014. Right, and Braxton did. Bra- <laughs> did Braxton play in that game at all, or did he? Was he hurt beforehand? Did JT? No, he, well, he was hurt beforehand. Yeah, that was the year okay. he. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah, Michigan, no. Michigan's went against Ohio State's second string quarterbacks in in the past, you know, and still haven't been able to get over the top. Like that's that's not the excuse for Notre Dame. They were able to beat Clemson, you know, Michigan, and, and I get it. Ohio State's been really good, but I mean. The, the fact that they haven't been able to get over the top once and now losing to Michigan State, Indiana, back-to-back weeks, it's abysmal. You, you know who else has been really good? Alabama. And yet Gus Malzahn, three times, has beaten Bama. Now, yes, okay, one of those was you know probably the, the most recognizable play in the history of, or in the last 25 years of college football at the kick six. Still won the game. Still was, you know, played was with them neck and neck that whole way through. Beat them when it did. Bama doesn't have down years and they've beaten them like off and on, you know, every so often like that's yeah. That's why that excuse as good as Ohio state is a bit ridiculous. There's one more thing I wanted to bring up before positives regarding uh, Michigan basketball, uh, the, the gods here in 2020, um, you know, I, how these players respond to uh, re- respond to, losses respond to these games um i don't put a ton of stake in because they're young um you know we'll, we never even talked about joe milton's comments after the michigan state game talking about how a michigan state player wasn't on his radar not a smart thing to say shouldn't have said it joe milton's 20 like i, I think we that's just one of those issues we run into and where we, we criticize these players too much but you know i follow ronnie bell on instagram okay ronnie bell considered you know one of the elder statesman of the receiver corps um, played a very good game on Saturday, did one of the few lone bright spots. Again, on Saturday, got their teeth kicked in by a team they hadn't beaten since 1987. And there's been whispers, um, but, you know, a lot of them, you know, hearsay speculation that there's a lot of guys in that program who are a bit me-centric. Um, I, I think it's Brandon Brown, I believe, it's an article that that, you know, revealed some of that stuff. Ronnie Bell on his Instagram story, and this was as of Saturday night, and – Ended up being more posted 32 things to his Instagram story references to the game. He played his touchdown people patting him on the back for his performance. And look, if you want to take pride in the performance you had on the field, go ahead. You know, these guys are young. They aren't robots. And, and I'm not saying Ronnie Bell is an into it. We saw how, how shattered he was after the Penn state game last year. That's not what I'm saying. I do know. That that is, and call me if I'm fair or foul on this. I, I'm not saying I necessarily am, but am I the only one who finds that a bit odd? 
like during basketball when, you know, Cassius went for 30 against Michigan and the Breslin, I, I didn't see Xavier Simpson posting, you know, videos of shots on Instagram. Like, am I, am I on that to think that there's something a little bit tone deaf about you lose a game by 17 and you're exclusively posting photos and videos of your touchdown of your plays that you made? We, we kind of had this question though at the beginning of the season, right? When uh, we looked at, and I will not obviously knock a kid for not playing football in a pandemic, you know, it's with COVID-19 running uh, rampant throughout the country. Like I'll never knock a kid for that. And I respect every decision that was made, but we kind of question that because all the Ohio state guys that opted out and that we're going to focus on going to the NFL draft, they fought tooth and nail to come back. Jalen Mayfield ended up coming back. Uh, for Michigan, but you know, the other guys didn't. And that's now fine. he's hurt. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm totally right. okay with it, obviously, but w- we questioned a little bit if there was, if that spoke to the, uh, I don't know, the, the culture inside Schembechler hall at all. Yeah. I, I, I think that, cause I think that goes along with what Chris is saying, you know, it's almost like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of me, not we sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm not, I'm not going to dog any kids, uh, but I, I do think that there is an aspect of, like I said, the difference lies in all of the Ohio State guys coming back to win a championship, and the Michigan guys staying opted out, or, you know, like I said, um, leaving early or, or transferring out because they're worried about playing time. There's not. You know, Michigan's do- Michigan does a very good job of pitching guys that they will um, – we're going to get you to the NFL. And they right. do for a lot of them. But yeah, I think when Donovan Peoples-Jones committed to Michigan, he wasn't expecting to be a sixth-round pick. When, um, you know, LaVert Kill committed to Michigan, I don't think he was expecting to not get drafted. When Shea Patterson came to Michigan, I don't think he was expecting to not even really – you can kind of one-hand the amount of tryouts he's had since the draft ended. So – like I said, it's. I think at a certain point when it becomes apparent that that team goal isn't there, then maybe you see if um, you see guys go in that more of an individualistic direction. So, yeah. like I said, um, I'll stop short of calling it tone deaf per se, but it is certainly odd. Like I know they're kids, and and you know a lot of, a lot of this and. We'll probably start to see more of this when the name, image, and likeness stuff goes through. A lot of this is, yeah. you know, branding for kids now. You're putting a highlight film together for the next level. And maybe some guys are, you know, like I said, when it becomes apparent you're not going to be able to do that, that's maybe what the goal is. So, yeah. And I, you know, I get that completely. I think both you guys, those are very fair points. And I feel, I feel like such an old, like, you know, such an old boomer pointing this stuff out, but it's just, Notice that notice that it stuck out a, a little bit, especially after uh, laying in laid last week, and especially uh, the week before when you have a team that's struggling the way that this team is. I, I is probably a better word than tone deaf. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the the same problems persist. We we heard it after the Minnesota game that this was a, a different team in the face of adversity and things like that. I didn't get that on Saturday against Indiana. No. When, th- when things went bad, I still saw, you know, hung heads. There wasn't a lot of emotion. I, I think it's the same uh, as it ever was. Well, speaking uh, of Minnesota, real- may- maybe they should do what Minnesota's done in the wake of their own to start. Uh, PJ Fleck read everybody poops to his team. Um, and yeah. his reasoning uh, for that was um, out of poop, uh, poop is fertilizer and out of poop can come something beautiful, something sustaining. Oh my God! Um, so yeah, Jim Harbaugh, just the king, king of gimmicks, isn't he? My God! Yeah, yeah. I there was a there was a certain discussion that was taking place on Twitter here today that I won't shed any light on here, but um, yeah. uh, I'm just thankful that PJ Fleck was not really mentioned uh, this the same way that he was at the end of last season. I will put it that yes. way. Real real quick though, uh, I know we're running out of time. We're running up up uh, near 45 minutes here. Um, 
Jawan Howard, I want to touch on this real quick because it's not necessarily going under the radar, but uh, we got a lot of grievances with the football program in the middle of football season. So the basketball <laughs> gets pushed to the wings a little bit. Uh, but the good news is uh, two weeks in a row, what, what do we have? Do we have Caleb Houston commit the week going into Michigan State, I believe? Yeah, that we yeah, got, yeah. We got the, week. the Friday before the game. Yeah, before yeah. the game. Uh, so now, so with that came a loss, and now the Indiana loss. The good news is, is Juwan Howard is going to continue to sign five-star recruits every game that Michigan loses. That's just the deal uh, with the devil that was made here. But uh, they got a, a shocking recruit uh, here, uh, and I apologize if I – Absolutely butcher this name. Uh, Musa Diabate, uh, IMG Academy, another five-star for Jawan Howard. I went uh, went for it. You know, I do do pronounce it. No, that was pretty good. I don't know if I got it correct, and I apologize. I I, I was just trying to – I've been trying to avoid doing the Wilford Brimley diabetes thing. So – Diabetes. His name, so (laughs) – this is this like I said, uh, kind of came out of nowhere. But what Jawan Howard's doing, man, needs to kind of be put at the forefront in the light here a little bit. Yeah, uh, stupid of us to not talk about that more because that's the program that really deserves much of our attention at the moment. But we do, uh, we do where the numbers are and outrage sells and, and all that stuff. And I'm sure later in the week we'll probably do some more on this. But... Also, therapy for us. Don't let Anthony tell you otherwise. Yeah, I, I charge. I charge by literally the half hour. So we're almost we're we're past that now. So where you guys are, you know, running up the clock on me. But yeah, it's a big deal. Um, it's funny because we knew that they needed to fill that big man slot, and I said I was Vaughn brought me onto the recruiting podcast last week. Shout out to Vaughn, and we were talking about you know who might be next, and you know obviously the big man was a a role they needed to fill. And it's always been it's been Efton Reed, Charles Bediaco. Those have kind of been the two guys. But Musa um, had been in there too. But and and things have been pretty quiet there. And and I made the comment to Vaughn like things have been kind of quiet there, the same way that things were quiet with like a with Kobe Bufkin like early on in the cycle. And lo and behold, out of literally out of the clouds on Monday, um, Diabate drops, and that's again. Anytime it's funny, the guy's six ten. He's to me, he's you know, he's perfect for you know, he's he's gonna be a he's a power forward on 24-7 sports, but he's gonna come in here and play the stretch five, basically. Um, with a guy like Houston who's going to play the stretch four. And like I said, it, it's I don't know what else to, I mean, we literally an hour before this dropped, we had just gotten off of a zoom call with Joan Howard, where he was asked about, you know, his recruiting process. And um, basically they said they've been going after guys that actually want to be here. So um, the tidbit from all of this, I have to share because we don't have a ton of time to break it down. So the early signing period starts on Wednesday. Uh, Michigan spokesman told everyone that was in this meeting earlier today that the plan is, Michigan's not going to do the thing where they announce the guys as they come in. They're going to announce them all at once. So once they know, once they know who's going to sign, they'll announce everyone at once. So I don't know if, if Diabate is going to sign on Wednesday. I don't know if Caleb Houston's going to sign on Wednesday, but if you get all of those guys, like it's just keep an eye on who inks the letter of intent before, you know, people have been saying, Oh, well they got five stars before and they didn't sign. Well, we'll see what happens. But Wednesday is kind of Wednesday's a big day for that to see if you're going to retain one of those guys. I think you will. And I think there's a good chance. Again, I don't think you commit two days before the signing period um, and don't sign. That's just me. Recruiting is weird. We know how these things go. You know, I know we're running over here, but uh, I, it can't be overstated what he's doing here. I, I mean, I, what what he'll do with these guys. We don't know where they'll go. Will they make it to a final four? Will they win a natty Uh, to be determined? All we can talk about is what he's doing in the moment. And I think we were all like, so, so with the Juwan hire, we got, we knew there were a lot of question marks. We were not nearly as harsh as some other people were. Some, uh, some people were just, you know, wanted them crucified after the press conference for some reason. Um, I don't think we were ever that, you know, that rough, but we, we knew there were, there were question marks. We understood the appeal of the hire. I think the first year, I mean, Jesus, what's it been? A year and a half now since he took the job, um, time flies, overwhelming success. 
I mean, if you would have told me, you know, last year's team was last year's team. And I thought he did a fine job considering the liver's injury, considering the fact they didn't really have a single good shooter and some guys like Teske regressed. Uh, I thought he did an admirable job. You know, if you would have told any of us 18 months ago, they'd be they'd have two five stars fall through the fingertips and snag two others and currently have the number one recruiting class in the country. That doesn't happen. It doesn't. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to have a bit of a breather from the the awfulness of football all the other sports teams in this state. Um, I, a wonderful sign. And Juwan Howard, whatever flaws he may have as a coach, we haven't really seen him exposed yet. The guy is an incredible communicator. He's a likable personality. And his experience, a guy who played up teen years in the NBA, makes him and thus Michigan a really appealing destination. And it's going to for a while here. Uh, he's hitting home runs on the recruiting trail. The dude is young. He's hungry. Um, big things hopefully happening to that program. Good for them. Well, uh, I know we'll talk about it. Well, not us, but uh, you'll hear more about it this week. Um, I'm sure Vaughn's going to talk about it. Anthony, what what day is that going to drop here? The recruiting uh, podcast. So I cannot, I would imagine they would. They record, they actually recorded, they record their show. Here's a little behind the scenes. They record their show on Monday nights before we do ours. So I would assume that that made the cut. Um, again, I haven't listened to the show. I edit their show as well. So I would assume it did. So that's, uh, like I said, our show, we do Monday nights into Tuesday. Steven, Steven Ostentoski is here. Obviously, uh, one of the guys in the recruiting podcast on the Twitch chat says they led the show off with it. Okay. So obviously so you'll hear more about it then with those guys then. That was a long-winded way of me saying they got you covered. And that show will be out on Wednesday. Probably t- Tuesday night into Wednesday. We'll be out uh, to, you know, late Monday night into Tuesday morning. Okay, sounds good. So uh, with that, you know, they'll, they'll talk about, obviously, Diabate uh, a little more uh, on that. Should be a good one. Make sure you tune in. But uh, while we got to wrap up here, Chris, let us know where we can find you on social media, man. All right, well, I'm still doing my Michigan football post games every Saturday. Those are at Castellani 2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2-0-1. Uh, you can find my uh, other sh- – there you'll find the link to my YouTube page. Um, hopefully some movies will drop here soon that I can review and put those on my 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 channel. You can follow my other show, Locked on Tigers, doing daily uh, Detroit Tigers and really just daily baseball podcasts because there's not a whole lot of Tigers news to cover right now. You can find that wherever podcasts can be found. And uh, you can follow that show on Twitter. That shows a Twitter. Uh, maybe I run it. Maybe I don't. At Locked on Tigers. Huh. So, uh, follow me on all those platforms. Anthony, how about you? Follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Uh, thanks to those of you guys who've been watching on Twitch. You can follow that at twitch.tv slash maize and brew. Uh, follow the website at maize and brew on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, maybe we might have to switch over to this new, uh, this new Facebook like app that everyone's switching over to. I have to check that out. Just kidding. Not doing that. Uh, you can find our podcast at Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get our shows. So again, thanks for listening and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Gierdi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. And, uh, you know, if you follow me on Saturdays when the games go bad, don't be too alarmed. You know, uh, it, it, it's going okay in my life. But, uh, yeah, you might be uh, worrisome a little bit if you follow me on there during the games. But uh, do so. Fun to interact uh, with you guys. A big thank you to everyone who followed along on Twitch and, and hopped in the comments. Once again, another great week here on Twitch. And if you're listening on the podcast, Every Monday night, 7.30, we'll be recording Brewcast uh, live on Twitch. So hopefully you'll join us. Hop in the comments. We do have a lot of fun there. But uh, that's going to do it for us here today. Remember to subscribe, leave a review for all of our shows and content, where you get your podcasts. Just search Maze and Brew Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. And a lot to get to. Don't forget, make sure you tune into the uh, recruiting podcast uh, with those guys from here on uh, Maze and Brew because it's going to be a lot of fun talking about Joanne Howard's class for sure. But we'll be back next week on Brewcast for Chris Castellani and Anthony Broom. I'm Luke Yardy. We'll see you then.